Welcome back to the final episode of 2020 for Build a Better Wellness Biz. I'm your host, Jeremy Enns. And in this episode, we are talking about the second seven of 14 lessons that I took away from 2020. And there are actually a lot more <laughs> lessons that I've taken away than, than these 14 this year, but that would be a really long episode if I was to start listing out all of them. And so these are kind of the, the top 14, the most impactful, the lessons that have made the most impact on my life in this past year, and the ones that I think are going to continue to make a huge impact on my life in the coming year. If you haven't already listened to uh, episode 20, which was the first seven lessons from 2020, uh, you should go back and listen to that one now as uh, that one is going to lead into this episode. And if you've already listened to that one, then let's get into it. So number eight on our list here is that almost everything is built on compounding returns. And so much like investing in the stock market, it turns out that investing in pretty much anything else as well is also built on the concept of compounding returns. And so this is something that first occurred to me when it comes to content marketing and podcasting in particular. And then once I started thinking about that, then I realized it applied to, you know, building a business and growing your audience in other ways and just all these other areas in your life. And so what compounding returns looks like, if you look at a graph, basically along the x-axis, our line sticks pretty much right along that axis for a long time. And then all of a sudden, it starts dramatically turning up and, and heading upward. And sometimes, you know, depending on what the time scale is, that might mean that you are doing all these actions that you know these should be the right things, these should be working right now. And maybe it takes like one year or two years or three years of doing the right things before they actually start to show results. But when they do, uh, on a compounding return model, you're going to start seeing results fast, and they're going to grow faster and faster and faster at an exponential rate. And uh, if one of, one of the things that we have all taken away from uh, 2020 is what an exponential growth curve looks like, uh, unfortunately, in the case of coronavirus. But that is how compounding returns work, is that you can put in the effort for a long time and not see a ton of results, but over time, they do begin to compound and all of a sudden your growth really skyrockets. And so for me, this was something, like I said, that really became apparent as I was looking at the podcasters who I knew who were successful and seeing that, you know, oh, like a lot of these people, they have put out great shows for one year or two years before things really start taking off. But when they start taking off, they really start taking off. And so this has been a huge both comfort and motivator to me to, you know, when I know that these are the things I should be doing and that these, I believe uh, these actions will pay off in the long run, I'm going to keep doing them even if I don't see immediate results because I know that I can't go wrong doing these things. And of course, there are some actions that you don't know that they'll work in the long run. And so I think that it does um, help to, to be looking out and doing uh, for different tactics and strategies and these types of things. But if there are things that are really important to you, like, I, again, going back to writing, which I talked a lot about in the first episode um, of this, this series, this two-part series, um, I know that writing is going to have a huge impact on my career over time. I'm not growing my audience very quickly by writing right now, but I know that if I keep at this for five years or 10 years or 20 years, the results are going to be absolutely profound. And so that is something that I fully intend to keep up over that time span. And so this idea of thinking in compounding returns uh, has been a huge, huge um, kind of lightning bolt realization for me uh, over this past year. Number nine is about finding what I call your guiding stars and then doubling down on them. And so, of course, we're all aware at this point that the amount of freely available information uh, online is, is this great blessing that it's all available to any of us. 
But it's also one of the great challenges uh, because we can quickly and easily find all the information on how to do pretty much anything. But we can also find a whole bunch of numerous alternative or even conflicting methods at the same time. And so this makes it really hard to decide okay, if I, let's say the goal is to grow my audience or grow my business, which of these, you know, dozen or hundred strategies am I going to pursue? And more often than not, we start down many of them at the same time and don't fully commit to any of them. And so, uh, as you may have experienced for creative, you know, marketers, makers, entrepreneurs, uh, people who are working for themselves and trying to create something of value for others and the world, this abundance of information causes flare-ups of our shiny object syndrome that many of us have on a probably weekly, if not even daily basis. And it makes it really hard to see progress because we're jumping from one strategy or tool uh, to the next faster than we can you know, hope to see any results from any of those. And so this lack of focus uh, leads us to end up stuck. And this is something that I am certainly no stranger to, and I have done this a whole bunch in the past and am certainly still doing it. Uh, but thanks to this lesson is something that I am working uh, my way out of. And so the lesson is that this year I started asking myself questions about, you know, looking at all these th different things that I was wanting to achieve and looking at all these different options of how to get there. But I started to notice that some of them, some of the strategies out there didn't feel aligned with me personally or how I wanted to run my business. So I started asking myself more questions about, okay, well, what, how do I want to run my business? What results do I want to get? What's my time frame here? And who is doing this in a way that feels good to me? Um, because I really believe that it's not only about, you know, the actual results that we achieve and the, the things that we create through our businesses, but actually how we get there and that how we do the things we do matters. And so pretty quickly, I started uh, honing in on people like Seth Godin, David Hyatt, uh, Bernadette Jiwa, Duke Stump, uh, companies like Patagonia and ConvertKit, along with a handful of others. And these are who have kind of become what I refer to as my guiding stars or board of directors, so to speak. And whenever I'm stuck or have a decision that I am facing, I think back to like, okay, these people and brands that I admire how would they approach this? How do they do their marketing? How do they speak to their audiences? How do they write? What types of products do they create? Um, and, and starting to ask all these questions through this lens of like, okay, I want to build a company like these companies. And so how, do, how are they approaching these same challenges and same problems? And so this has led me to have so much more clarity and focus and has allowed me to shut out the noise and ignore all of these shiny objects and Facebook ads for all these, you know, different techniques and strategies of how to achieve the goals that I want to achieve um, and, and really, you know, allow me to focus in and hone in on just doing the things that I know will help me build the type of company that I want to build, even if that sometimes takes a little bit longer, um, because in the end. I want to be able to build something that I am proud of. Uh, I'm proud to have created. I'm proud to work in. Uh, our team is proud to be a part of, of the company that we built and our clients are proud to work with us. And so, you know, I have, I have really high standards for, for what I and, and we are building together. And so I want to make sure that I am, you know, following people who have built that same thing, that same type of audience, that same type of business with the same types of values. And so identifying for yourself who those guiding stars are, who your board of directors is, and then doubling down on that, ignoring everything else and sticking to uh, the plan, uh, so to speak, that they have laid out for you in order to, to get there. So that has been one of the huge things for me over this past year. And I know that that is going to have a huge impact on, on me and my business and my team and our clients going forward. All right, double digits. Number 10. This lesson is about realizing that we often get stuck not because of difficult actions that we need to take, 
but difficult decisions that we need to make, often as the CEO or business owner. And so one of the biggest changes to my business and my team this year was hiring my online business manager, Lindsay, uh, back in February, I believe. And so while I already had at this point a really solid team of sound engineers and content writers and admin people handling the bulk of our client podcast production work, uh, for the past couple of years, Lindsay was really the first person to come on and help me work on the business. And to that point, it had been just me working on strategy and systems and operations and all that kind of stuff. Everybody else was working on client deliverables. So over the course of this year, she took the lead on a whole number of projects from overhauling our project management to solidifying and further building out our internal systems. And because of the work she's done, our internal and external communication, uh, client experience, quality of work, and so much more have all improved drastically from where they were at the start of the year, which going into this year, I already thought they were in a pretty good place. And now they are just so much better. And so the interesting thing about many of these upgrades and all the progress that she has helped make in the company is that a lot of these things were things that had been on my to-do list for months or even years. Uh, And they always felt like tasks that were just too big to tackle at the time with my limited bandwidth. And so they were either chipped away at really slowly or they just remained untouched altogether just because they felt so big. One of the big lessons for me, though, in bringing Lindsay on and having her take the lead on these projects was that... Most of those tasks on the list were not actually all that large in terms of scope, uh, of time, or effort uh, when it came to actually completing them. What I realized was the issue is that I was getting stuck on making decisions. And so often it was a decision that was between two seemingly equally good options, or maybe it was two compromises where there was no perfect option, or maybe it was even two not great options at all. And so the way that our process worked is that Lindsay would would take the lead on these things and then need me to make a decision at a certain point. And it became painfully clear that, oh, this whole everything that I've been getting stuck on for these past few years has just been my inability to make a decision and go forward with it. And so having her there as a kind of accountability partner to that uh, for her, you know, she needed me to make a decision in order to do the work that I was paying her for has really helped uh, throw that kind of problem, this this sticking point into relief. And so uh, my advice is that next time you find yourself procrastinating, uh, it might not be because of the actual action that you need to take. And it might be that there's a decision that needs to be made that is uncomfortable. And one of the things that I've realized from this past year is that if you can make that decision, you can move much, much faster. And that if you can just train yourself, build the habit of making decisions quickly and then going forward with them, all of these big projects and tasks on your to-do list become a whole lot faster to actually bring to fruition. Number 11 is that insight and context is quickly becoming more important than information. And maybe it's not quickly becoming, it is already more important than just information alone. And I think that as a business owner, an entrepreneur, a creator, a content marketer, It's easy to believe that the very best way to grow our audiences and get more exposure is by sharing more information. And so this leads us to, you know, scribble down a few topics that we can blog about or podcast about or create YouTube videos about that are all like how to blank and five ways to blank. Maybe even we have a few like ultimate guide to blank uh, if we're feeling really ambitious there. The problem is that it's really, really, really hard to stand out from the crowd uh, by pursuing this tack of creating uh, content based on information. Chances are we don't personally have any proprietary information that isn't already available freely online, uh, most likely presented by a better writer, speaker, or creator who has more resources than we have. 
And so it's really hard to compete if we are trying to create the same content that someone else has already created elsewhere in a better form. And so as information itself becomes ever more ubiquitous, it becomes less valuable, uh, at least as a content creator. However, the need for context and insight in this case becomes much, much more valuable. And so this, to me, is really fantastic news for us as content creators. Because whether they know it or not, our audiences are desperate for a way to make sense of all that infinite information that's at their fingertips already. We're well past the point of needing another how-to blog post, but we are in desperate need of having someone who come along and walk us through why this matters and what the context is and how it applies to our lives and take us by the hand and walk us through that dense kind of sea of information. And so that means that for us, our job is to process that information filter out the signal from the noise, and then translate it into language that our audience understands and providing the context um, that they need in order to actually apply it to their lives. And I really believe that going forward, this is the absolute greatest service that we can provide to our audiences. Each of us has our own unique insight and perspective. And if we build our brand around that insight and perspective, rather than information that people can get anywhere, we've kind of created this moat around our brands that is all but impossible for anyone else to actually cross because it's our perspective. Nobody else is going to have our perspective. And so if we can build our brand about that, we don't have any competition at that point. And so realizing this for me over the past year has helped me shift my own content strategy to focus a lot more on context and perspective rather than providing more kind of commoditized information. And so for me, at least, this has turned out to be a lot more fun, but it's also a lot more distinctive, I've realized, in terms of my brand. Uh, I've had some amazing feedback from readers of my blog and my newsletter and from podcast listeners, and I'm convinced that this really is the future of content marketing going forward. Lesson number 12 has been all about speed of implementation. Um, Like I've mentioned before in these, these two episodes now on these lessons, 2020 has been a year of, you know, taking on big projects and executing on plans that have been brewing in the back of my mind for a long time. This has included creating and launching two courses, testing and rolling out new services for our agency clients, uh, starting a new podcast, a new newsletter, writing every day, overhauling our project management system, adding new tires to the team, and more. That's a lot of stuff jammed into one year. And so when I've been looking back at what changed this year that allowed me to make these huge leaps forward, really, I trace it back to one thing, which has been speed of implementation. And so I'm someone who really likes to plan and strategize and wait until I am absolutely 100% certain about an idea or a direction that I want to go in before acting. This is one of the reasons why, despite being in the podcast industry, it's taken me five years to launch my own show because I felt like I needed to be uh, absolutely clear on the direction and the concept and all of these things before launching it. Now, this approach is useful in some ways. But when it comes to actually getting things done, especially big projects, uh, even if that involves a few missteps along the way, it is a major impediment. Now, this style of thinking is useful in some ways, but when it comes to actually getting things done, especially these huge projects, it is a major impediment. The reason is because there's often actually no possible way to be 100% certain about any decision before making it, testing it, and iterating from there. 
To be honest, toward the end of the year here, I felt myself slipping and slowing down when it comes to my speed of implementation, uh, kind of over the final quarter of the year. And that may be because the first half of the year was fairly stressful due to rolling out so many changes and big projects simultaneously. It's probably more than likely I was just worn out and fatigued and needed a break. But now that the foundation is in place, uh, because of a lot of those big projects for the next stages of both our agency and our educational content, I am going to be looking to ratchet up that speed again in 2021. The penultimate lesson, number 13, has been all about taking my unique skills and perspectives and worldview uh, about all kinds of things and really infusing that more into my work. I took a, a course earlier this year that was all about like developing your personal brand, so to speak, or finding your personal style. And one of the questions, and I think that this comes up in a lot of content around finding your purpose and things like that in, in different types of business courses or, or um, content along those lines, has been around thinking back to, you know, what did you love to do when you were a kid? And what made you tick then? What could you just like while away the time for hours and not realize where it went uh, as a child? And for me, this question was always kind of stupid because, I mean, like, I like playing with Lego uh, when I was a kid. And I thought, well, yeah, I'm not going to build a business around playing with Lego or anything like that uh, or video games or anything like that. And, you know, I knew that there are people who are professional gamers and whatever, but like that never seemed to me like a real uh, career path. And it wasn't something that I felt contributed anything. Um, what I've realized, though, towards the end of this year has been actually I was approaching this question in the wrong way and that. There were a lot of clues actually in my childhood that were things that I was passionate about, um, but didn't quite know how to work into this kind of business context that I'm in now. So whenever I'd been presented with this question, I went straight to these obvious things that I like doing, the actual things I was spending my time on. And what I've started to realize is that a lot of those things, there was actually an underlying motivation behind them. So when it comes to playing with Lego, that was about creating and building and constructing. And even like working with my hands is something that I've realized has, has become something that I am more and more drawn to over time. But the big thing for me, the big realization has been I've always been a very philosophical thinker. I always loved, you know, reading and thinking about philosophy, even from when I was like 10 years old. And that was something that I always felt kind of created this distance between me and other people like, you know, in my, in my age, age range at school, my friends, I didn't quite feel like people, uh, the people around me grappled with some of the big questions or got much joy out of, out of them as I did. And so even just in the past, the final few months of this year, what I've realized is that I've always had this, this worldview or this interest, this curiosity about the big questions about philosophy. And that has always felt like something that, well, there's no place for that in the work I do. And what I'm starting to realize is that this has been a lifelong interest of mine. And actually, it's a differentiator and, and that maybe I should be infusing more and more and more of that into the work I do, taking a philosophical view of business and of podcasting and of, you know, everything else that I do and asking the big, deeper questions and going beyond kind of the tactical and the strategies and uh, all these like tools and resources and all these things that are abundantly available elsewhere, kind of like we talked about in the previous lesson, where insight and context are more valuable than any of those things. And so kind of in line with that, I've realized that, oh, this is something that I've been so curious and interested in uh, for my whole life. I think I need to make that be a bigger part of my work and my brand. And so I think that this is something that, like I said, the question to me, like, what are the lifelong threads that have always had since childhood in your life? And I always thought too literally about that. But if you are feeling like maybe the work that you're doing is not satisfying all of you, 
I would recommend like looking back at what those threads were, what those common threads, what have you always enjoyed? And maybe it's not the literal thing that you've always, you know, done in your spare time or as a kid, well, how did you like play or, or what did you like daydream about or any of those things, but looking at like, what's the underlying need or desire that those things filled. Um, and maybe there is something there that you should be infusing more into your work. And, you know, when you first think about that, you might think, oh, that would be really weird. Like that doesn't go with the work that I do at all. Like there's no space for that in what I do. And chances are that's because nobody else is actually doing it that way. And so maybe that's a bad thing, but potentially that's actually a huge differentiator for you and a way to set yourself apart and attract people who are also into that same kind of thing, that same core idea that is, you know, right now there are no options for that. So they're not rallying around that because nobody's doing that. And if you started to build that more into your content and the work that you do, potentially a lot of people might start coming out of the woodwork and saying like, oh, I had no idea that you were into this as well. And this is something that uh, Abel James and I talked about in one of the first episodes of the podcast was, uh, you know, he, his brand is all about weight loss um, and a specific type of diet. But he also talks about all these other things that he's into and he writes poetry and songs and he does all these other like wacky things and infuses that into his brand. And as a result, he's attracted all these people who are into all those other things who now they have all these kind of common threads together. And so they are really super fans. And so this is something that I think it's really important to think about those things that are kind of like a little bit strange, a little bit different and thinking about like, what are those things that I've always been interested in, but never felt like they fit into what I do. And if you can find some of those things and plug them into your work, chances are your work is going to be a whole lot more fulfilling and fun for you. And you're going to start attracting more of your people. So uh, that would be my advice to you. If you are feeling that kind of like disconnect in any way where, you know, you, you could be doing more or your, your work isn't quite fulfilling you like you feel it should uh, start to work some of these other interests uh, and passions and, and curiosities into the work and see where it takes you. All right. So number 14, the final lesson from 2020, I feel like there's a lot of pressure riding on this one for it to deliver is about playing the long game. And so I think that when we play the short game, when we are looking to, you know, the next quarter, the next year, whatever those results are on a very limited time frame, it's really easy to get sucked into making decisions and taking actions that don't actually serve us in the long term. Often there's a trade-off there. And of course, when we are feeling that pressure of needing to get that next client or make that next sale, it feels like we don't have the luxury of worrying about the long term at the moment. It's something that like, okay, well, once I get this next client or these next three clients or whatever that is, then I'll start thinking about the long term. But the problem is that that time never really comes where we're feeling fully comfortable and confident to start thinking more about the long term and stop making um, short term, maybe reactive decisions. And I think we get thinking that, you know, if we can't keep our business going for the next six months, there won't be a long term vision past that. And so we need to keep thinking in the short term. The thing is that I think most of us have a lot more of a runway than we think, and we actually have more latitude to plan for and build toward the businesses and the lives that we actually want, even if that means making some short-term sacrifices. And one of the reasons that I think this is important is that when we're building businesses that are actually aligned with our long-term vision, everything else becomes easier and more fun. Content isn't a chore when you're creating what you want to instead of what you're supposed to be creating in order to attract followers, you know, according to whatever strategy it is that you're following. Sales and marketing doesn't feel uncomfortable when you're building products and services that you know are the perfect fit for the people that you really want to work with. Now, of course, sometimes each of us does in fact have to make a short-term decision that compromises on our long-term vision. 
2020, certainly there have likely been opportunities for all of us uh, where it feels like, well, we better capitalize on the short term and take what we can get right now because who knows what's going to happen over the rest of the year. But I think that this is still a helpful exercise to approach every decision uh, from the starting point of and thinking, okay, I'm facing this, this decision. How would I do this? And how would I approach this if it didn't need to work for a year? What if it didn't need to work for two years or five years? When we're playing the long game, we're much less likely to chase shortcuts and get rich quick schemes and more likely to commit to the small, boring, consistent actions and habits that will lead to long-term success. The irony is that it's often by committing to the long game that we achieve the results we're hoping for the quickest. And this is often because we have committed to one strategy, one plan of action, and have stuck with it by, like I said, these small, boring, consistent actions and habits. And so those begin to compound over time, like we talked about earlier, as opposed to chasing every shortcut that we see on our, that comes across our screens or across our vision, and then abandoning them when they don't give us the immediate results that we're hoping for, or they don't quite feel like they fit with where we're looking to go. And so in that way, it often happens that when we take the long view and and take the commit to the long-term approach, we actually get to our destination much quicker. And so this is something that uh, thinking about the long game, this goes hand in hand with following uh, my guiding stars or board of directors. Um, and thinking about the long game, it's really helped me keep my compass needle pointed north this year. And as I'm looking forward to the future, uh, I am so excited to build slowly and uh, intentionally and consciously and, and keep moving in the direction that I know I want to be moving in and build the company that I want to be working in 10 years from now or 15 years from now or 20 years from now, not just to maximize profit or number of clients or team size or anything like that over the next year. So that is it for my 14 lessons from 2020. Uh, the 14 things that I most took away from this past year I can't really think of another year in which I've leveled up my mindset and habits so profoundly, and I can only hope that that growth continues into 2021. But really, like, even if it doesn't continue at the same pace, I feel like through this year, through this most challenging of years for, for so many of us, um, I feel like I've really been able to lay the foundation uh, down for a creative, productive, and very fulfilling year ahead, regardless of what happens. Thank you so much for listening through these 14 lessons. Again, I would love to hear from you and what some of the lessons are that you took away from this year. Uh, feel free to hit me up on Instagram or Twitter or email at jeremy at counterweightcreative.co and let me know what some of those most apparent lessons were for you as you are reflecting on this year ahead. Next week, we will be back with a regular interview episode. Uh, I will be talking to Erica Corday all about diversity, equity, and inclusion in small businesses and what each of us can do to make sure that our businesses are more equitable and more diverse and more inclusive. And this was a fantastic episode that I am so excited to share with you. So until then, keep building better. Better.